Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So as Mac mentioned before, my name's Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I'm excited that you're here joining us today because last week we started into a new series called Out of the Darkness, and we're talking about how do we start the year with stepping out of darkness and into light, and how does our 2019 be a year where we are filled with hope and freedom and moving from darkness into light? And sometimes you might be wondering, well, what do you mean when you say darkness, when we talk about this, and we, we kind of inherently know, and we've been using this definition, definition we introduced last week of saying that darkness is any part of our lives that we would rather keep hidden, any part of our lives we'd rather push away. And oftentimes, those parts of our lives can be characterized in two ways. Sometimes they're wounds. Sometimes something happened to us, or we were, were part of something that went poorly, and there's this wound, this scar that we still carry around. And when we have wounds in our lives, things in our past we'd rather not have happened, we have to explore how do we find healing to change from that. And the other form of darkness that often oftentimes can happen is when we have a compromised character. When we maybe through our own choice or just through habit, we've recognized there's ways that we're acting, ways we're living our lives where we say, you know, that's not how I want to be. And we start to recognize some of our own, our own flaws, our own mistakes, and that's okay. Because when we recognize them, that means we can start on a path towards finding forgiveness. Uh, We know God forgives everything, but sometimes we also have to forgive ourselves, and we have to give ourselves permission to move past that piece of compromised character. And so we're talking about how do we move from darkness into light. And last week, if you were here with us, we talked about how anytime we make a change, there's always a risk involved. We don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, But are we willing to take that risk of making a change in our lives? And the reason for that, the reason why it matters to take a risk is because it's only when we take a risk that we get to encounter what Jesus came here to do. See, we've been using this verse as our theme for the series. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. See, that's my hope for our church. That's my hope for you, is that we can move from darkness into light. And as we step into that light, we find the life that Jesus has for us, that he wants to call us to. And so one of the things we do around here is I want to invite you to pull out your phone. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app installed, go to the events tab and search for Grand Valley. And you'll find all the passages we're going to talk about today. And you can save that. You can add some notes to it and follow along if you like. And at the end, there's also some discussion questions for the life groups that you'll want to grab and want to talk about. See, today we're talking, uh, we're narrowing in on this change piece. And, and what is one of the big things that prevents us from making a change? See, oftentimes when we come to a change we want to make in our lives, we often think first in terms of motivation. How do I get the motivation to make this change? And there's no shortage of inspiration and ways to, you know, seize your goals, seize your dreams, and step forward in that. But motivation is kind of limited. Motivation, the only thing it overcomes is stagnancy. But the problem is, is stagnancy isn't actually the roadblock to change. See, in fact, there's a much bigger roadblock we're going to talk about, and that's fear. Fear is the most common roadblock to change. Anytime we want to make a change, we want to make a difference, we want to see ourselves grow deeper in our walk with God. 
there's always a piece of fear that has to be overcome because we get worried about change and fear holds us in that darkness. And the way that fear does that is simple. Fear makes, keeps us in the darkness by making us afraid of the light. Fear holds us back from making any changes, from stepping forward into what God calls us to because it tries to make us afraid of that light that leads to life. And fear is common. You know, we're, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some common fears first because we have to recognize these fear pieces before we're able to overcome them. And one of the most common fears is fear of change. We're scared of doing things differently or we're scared of something different. Now, sometimes, you know, routines and habits are a good thing. You know, there, there are certain things that are habits that we just kind of stick with and routines aren't bad, but if what's your routine pushing you towards is the question asked. See, really, fear of change is usually actually something else in disguise. See, fear of change indicates that we have a control issue. Fear of change means we want to control the outcome. We want to know exactly what's going to happen if this change happens in our life. And oftentimes, you know, we've talked about this before here in other sermon series, you know, we all have a level of a desire for control. You know, every one of us has of things we like to control. And, and, you know, one of the things that I learned about almost four years ago and keep learning constantly is there is no possible way to fully control your kids. I mean, we'd like to, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it be easier if our kids just, you know, yes, father, yes, dear, you know, anytime you ask them to do something, but it doesn't work that way. See, I think kids are one of the ways that God tells us, hey, you're not actually in control when you think you are. But see, there's a difference between learning that we don't have control and, there's a, and being afraid of losing control. And fear of change indicates that we're often afraid of losing control, of losing our grip on what's happening. A second common fear is fear of the unknown. We don't know what it's going to look like on the other side of this change. If I choose to make this, this difference in my life, if I choose to take this step of say, you know, God, I want to take this step and I want to go deeper into a relationship with you. Oftentimes that's stepping into the unknown. It's stepping into somewhere that's unfamiliar, somewhere we haven't been before. And there's a different way that this fear sometimes appears in our lives. And fear of the unknown often disguises itself as a search for wisdom. And we say, oh, I can't make that change yet. I don't know enough about it. Or I can't make this decision because I don't know enough. And we tell ourselves, oh, I need to just keep looking for wisdom. I just need to keep learning more about this. And what we're actually doing is we're preventing ourselves from making a change because we say, I need to know more about it first. Some of our military guys uh, a while ago were telling me about this training operation they were on, and they were learning how to breach and clear buildings. And they were saying to me that when they, when they build a plan for entering a building, when they hit 70%, they execute and go. And I was like, 70%, that's low. And they said, no, 70% is high. Because the moment you step in that building, the moment the first breaching charge goes off and you step in, your entire plan goes out the window. In fact, Mike Tyson, the boxer, once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then your plan goes out the window. And they were telling me this, that they have this 70% rule because the moment they're at 70, you've got to execute. Because the other 30%, you can't plan for anyways. You don't know what's going to find. You may have a, an idea of what that building's layout is, but you walk in and it might be completely different. See, sometimes we prevent ourselves from executing change because we think, I need to know more. And isn't wisdom good? It is. 
Shouldn't it be good to search for more wisdom? It is. But if you can never take a step of change to go deeper in your walk because you say, I just need to know more, but you can't put it into practice, that's fear holding us back. We also have a common fear of sometimes we're afraid when we try to move out of darkness, especially if there's a character piece that we want to work on that we know God wants to help us overcome. And we, say, we uh, have a fear of our flaws being revealed. See, humiliation is just involuntary humility. When we feel humiliated, it's because something happened that exposed a flaw, exposed something we'd rather kept hidden. It wasn't on our terms that it came forward. And we get worried about that. We get afraid of that. See, this is another fear that often holds us back from making a change because we're afraid that, well, if I make this change, well, that's going to reveal that I had a problem I was dealing with. And no one wants to admit they had a problem they were dealing with, right? See, that's how fear is a roadblock. A common one as well is fear of what other people will think. How often have you been controlled by what someone else's thoughts were about you? We're afraid of, of what people will say when we make a change or, or, or how it might change our relationships with people. And lastly, sometimes we're afraid of someone else's changed life. Have you ever, you know, maybe you have like one of the, those like really annoying coworkers that the moment they make a decision, they just stick to it. Uh, I knew a person once who just decided, you know, I'm going to cut all sugar out. I'm going to cut all carbs out. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. And everyone was kind of like, oh, okay, you're going to hold to that. And they did. And then everyone else is kind of like, man, you actually like, got your act together. See, sometimes we're afraid of seeing a change in someone else's life because immediately it reveals, oh, I'm not making a change. See, when someone else is suddenly growing deeper in their walk with God, sometimes we get a little scared because we say, how come you have that and I don't? See, in every one of these instances, fear is the roadblock to change. And in fact, I think this definition helps us a little better. Fear is a tyrant that tries to hold us in a state of oppression. Because fear knows if we don't make any changes, if we're held in oppression, we will never grow to the depths of what God wants us to grow to. We will never accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish. We will never experience the fulfillment of a relationship with God that God so desperately wants for every single one of us. See, fear tries to hold us in oppression. But here's the simple thing. If we're not afraid, fear has no power to oppress us. If we can remove fear, fear can't oppress us. If we remove fear, there's nothing holding us back from making the change. So how do we get rid of fear? See, do not fear is one of the most common commands all throughout Scripture, through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. One of those times, the prophet Isaiah was saying this to people. He said, do not be afraid. He's speaking as a mouthpiece for God when he says, he says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Not I, Isaiah, am with you. He was speaking as a prophet on behalf of God, for I, the Lord, am with you. That command is repeated time and time and time again in Scripture. See, we can only be oppressed if we're experiencing fear. If we get rid of fear, we can get rid of oppression. Now, when we need to get rid of fear, I want to move to a New Testament passage, and we're going to dwell on this passage for a little bit, and it's kind of our, our, our main, if you, if you want to remember one passage of Scripture out of this whole morning, this is the one to remember. 
See, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the 12 that walked with Jesus for three years. And after Jesus' death and his resurrection, John was one of the church planters who was traveling and planting churches and leading people into a relationship with Jesus. And he wrote, he wrote four books that are involved in our, they're included in our New Testament scriptures. He wrote the Gospel of John, which is his, near the end of his life, he's recounting what Jesus did and said so that the history is preserved for the church. And then he also wrote three letters. And one of them was a general letter meant to be distributed to a group of churches. And then the other two were kind of reminders and they were written to a smaller group. But we're going to be in the first letter John wrote. 1 John 4, verse 18. John has been talking about God's deep love for us. And this is the summary of his whole letter. He says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and that shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See, perfect love expels all fear. Some translations say drives out or destroys. Perfect love is what gets rid of fear. See, if we want to get rid of the fear that keeps us in the dark, we have to step into experiencing God's perfect love. See, how do we do that? How do we step into the fullness of God's love for us so that that light that leads to life can overcome the darkness in us? Perfect love drives out fear. See, when we talk about God, when we talk about his character and who he is, we all know that the depth of God's character is love, that God seeks to love and care for us deeply. And in fact, there's a bigger term for this that I'm going to introduce to you called imminence. And it means the closeness of God, that God is with us. When we talk about feeling God's presence surrounding us, when we talk about coming into the fullness of God's tenderness and his care and his compassion, we're talking about God's imminence, how close he is and how close he desires to be with us. But there's a second characteristic of God that that is almost the counter of imminence, and it's called God's transcendence. Now, when we talk about God's transcendence, it talks about God's power and his might. It talks about how overwhelming, how overwhelmingly majestic God is. And you know, you've seen this in the uh, in when we talk about the Christmas story and an angel, just a messenger of God, carrying a tiny glimpse of God's presence meets Mary and her response at first is terror. And then later when the angels go and they encounter the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, their response is terror. See, God's whole being is so otherworldly powerful and majestic. He is capable of doing anything he chooses to do. It is so powerful. We actually get overwhelmed by that. See, when Moses was up on the mountain You know, God's presence descended in a cloud. When Elijah encountered God on a mountain, God said, you can hide in that rock and I'm going to put my hand over you and I'm going to pass by and you can see the trail of my glory. Because if you look at my glory firsthand, it will destroy you. See, we are finite beings, but God is not. And see, sometimes we only dwell on God's imminence. We want to feel him close to us. And sometimes we forget about God's transcendence, the power that he is and contains and wants to be in our lives. 
See, God's transcendence is overwhelming us. But when we experience God's imminence and his transcendence, that's when we find this perfect love that John talks about. We find perfect love when we see both. See, God's imminence is when he chooses to be close to us, his tenderness, his mercy, he's close to the brokenhearted. We use these metaphors that Jesus used where he talked about being the good shepherd. And elsewhere in scripture, we talk about God being a loving father. That's God's imminence. And his transcendence is his awe-inspiring, his powerful, majestic nature. You know, he's capable of doing whatever he chooses when he displays his strength, when he performs miracles, when he changes the world. That is God's transcendence coming to fruition. I'm not going to go through the scripture passages on these two things, but they're in you version, and they're on the life group's discussion. If you're in a life group, you're going to be talking about this this week. And if you're not, you can download the discussion questions, talk with a friend, and maybe it's a great reason to sign up for a life group, to have a place to have these conversations about how do we go deeper in this. See, the intersection of God's imminence and his transcendence is where we find perfect love. See, when we look at this, when we think about a time when we've maybe encountered a tiny little bit of God's transcendent nature, oftentimes we feel overwhelmed. And we might get confused sometimes when we think, well, wait a second, you know, we're commanded not to fear. But when God shows up in his power and his majesty and his transcendent nature, sometimes we get a little worried. We get a little afraid and we think, well, wait a second, aren't there also passages in scripture that say, you know, aren't we to fear the Lord? And that's true. And the reason for it is, is that the Hebrew language used slightly different terms. And in English, we sum them both into one when we talk about fear. Because there's fear in terms of being afraid. And there's fear in terms of reverence. See, in Psalm 33, verse 8, uh, you know, David in this psalm of praise says, you know, let the whole world fear the Lord. Let everyone stand in awe of him. See, when we talk about having a reverent fear for who God is because of his power and his majesty, our response is awe. It's overwhelming. It's awesomeness. We have this respect in us that wells because we realize that God actually can do anything he chooses to do. And the really crazy part in this is that God chooses to do that most often through us. See, fear of the Lord is reverence and respect for who God is. It's not being afraid of God. God doesn't want us to be afraid of us in any way. See, fear is actually what holds us back. But reverence for God, understanding his power and his majesty, actually draws us to want to know that more. See, when God moves powerfully, our response is awe, not fear. You know, and there's, there's times when, you know, I've, I've witnessed uh, physical healings of people that I've been standing with and praying for. And I'm, you know, in the back of my mind, there's this little piece of doubt still of saying, is this person going to get healed? Are they really? And then this guy who said he had walked, uh, he, you know, I watched him, you know, we, we kept, we'd pray for him and then we'd say, okay, walk up the aisle 10 feet and walk back. How do you feel? No change. Okay, let's keep praying. Do it again. No change. Do it. And we did. And then he walks one time and he goes, he walks like 10 feet away and he turns around and he has just this look of utter delight. And he says, that's the first time I've been without pain in 15 years. And I'm standing there like, whoa, I was getting chills of just realizing that is God's power at work. And these kinds of things don't have to be rare. They can be common when we 
overcome our fear when we step deeper. See, this is about reverence for God's power is what drives out fear. Oftentimes we're good. We understand God's imminence. We feel his love. But it's when we step into his transcendent nature that we have this this response of awe. I want to give you an example of this. Some of you, if you follow me on Instagram, I kind of post three things. Pictures of my kids, smoked meat, and this car that I'm restoring. And a few people of you have teased me about this, that, okay, you know, maybe a little more of the kids, less of the car. Anyways, but when you're restoring a car, you're constantly dealing with rust. You know, rust is on everything, and you're constantly trying to get rid of it and remove it and, and to get to the pure piece of steel underneath so that I can rebuild this. Now, there's this really awesome technique of removing rust called electrolysis. I'm going to show you a picture of that. So that's a piece of steel in a plastic tub, and what you're doing is I'm using water and washing soda and electricity. You know that whole thing, water and electricity don't mix? Well, you totally can if you're careful. See, what happens in this is I'm driving electricity through the water into the part. And as it happens, it is tearing and ripping the rust particles off the steel at a microscopic level. And what comes out is this bare steel that's ready to be worked with. It uncovers what's underneath the rust, what's hiding behind it. Now, you notice the top of the water surface looks kind of frothy and bubbly. And that's because another thing that this does is it rips the molecules of water apart. Now, let's go back to science class for a second. Water is two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen make a molecule of H2O, of water. Now, when you rip that apart, you get H2 and O2, pure hydrogen and pure oxygen. Now, there's two ways this is dangerous. One is that if you ever accidentally put stainless steel in that tank, you make a really potent poison that can kill you. So don't put stainless steel in it. The second way is with this hydrogen and oxygen, because how many of you know what happened to the uh, the Hindenburg Zeppelin? It went kaboom. See, hydrogen is kind of fun. So as what I was actually doing this part, I decided it would be fun to scoop out some of the bubbles, and I put them on the driveway, and I poked it with a barbecue lighter. You know, and it made a little thump. And I'm like, that's cool. That's really cool. And then this, like, inner junior high boy that every guy has kind of comes out a little bit. You know, little fire's cool. Big fire. That's cool. So what did I do? I took the barbecue lighter in my hand, and I kind of, from an arm's length, lit it and poked it right into the tank. Now, there was this split, like, quarter of a second. You know, the flame is probably half an inch from the top of the bubbles. And this thought in the back of my mind goes, this is a bad idea. See, that is a good little piece of fear. That's not the fear we want to get rid of. We're not talking about living foolishly, even though what I'm about to tell you was extremely foolish. I poked the barbecue lighter directly into those bubbles filled with hydrogen and oxygen. I thought it would kind of go foomp and they'd all ignite. Problem, when it's in a container even that open, it built enough compression that it went bang. It was louder than a gunshot. In fact, I was standing there, splattered a little bit in rusty water, because it splattered, and my, I'm slightly dazed, and my ears are ringing, and I'm just like, man, that was really dumb. That was really awful. I should not have done that. And at the same time, I'm kind of giggling, because it was kind of cool. And, uh, but then I have this moment of like, what if the neighbors call the cops? They're going to think that there was like a shooting in this area. Anyways, see, 
I did not have the reverence and respect for hydrogen and oxygen. I had a little bit of fear that I should have listened to that would have kept me safe. See, when God moves powerfully, when something big happens, it's not about being afraid. See, I still keep doing electrolysis because it works really well. I just don't pull out the barbecue lighter now. See, when we encounter God's transcendent power, our response is awe, not fear. And this is what I want to invite you into. If you want to get rid of fear in your life, if you want to get rid of whatever it is, that roadblock to change, that roadblock that's holding you in the darkness in your life, we have to encounter God's perfect love. And we encounter God's perfect love when we meet that intersection between his imminence and his transcendence. See, if our concept of God is only his imminence, is only his love for us, we actually create a version of God in our minds that is there to coddle and you know, hold us in his embrace, but never ask us to do anything. Just, just be there to care for me. And sometimes that's the image of God we've created in our minds that we worship and that we want, but that's not actually the fullness of who God is. But at times when we encounter God's power in in ways, you know, when you witness a healing, when you see something happen that could only have been God's hand at work, sometimes we get a little spooked. And we go, whoa. We're actually dealing with the supernatural. We've stepped out of the realm of what's natural and into the supernatural because that's the realm that God fills and God encompasses. See, we encounter God's perfect love when we recognize both. That it's God's imminence that loves us and draws us close, and it's his transcendent power that calls us to change the world. It's his transcendent power, which is why the church is here 2,000 years after Rome thought they killed a false god on a cross. And the church still stands. It's God's transcendent power why the apostles were were speaking in tongues, were speaking, performing miracles, why they could witness to people who they didn't share a language with, why they encountered beatings, and most of them encountered martyrdom. They were killed for their faith because they had caught a glimpse of this perfect view of God's transcendence. See, that's what God calls us to. It's not just that he calls us to be loved. That's That's the first part. But he calls us to encounter his transcendence and to move with him in it. See, when we experience God's perfect love, it obliterates fear. It gets rid of it. It drives it out. And we can step into a deeper walk with God. We can actually live a life that is not, where fear does not hold us back. Because our reverence for God has overcome it. See, in the Old Testament, the way the Old Testament law was built was to safeguard and kind of protect the Israelites so that they could be witnesses of who God was in the world. But the time wasn't right yet for God to step into the world powerfully the way he did when he put on flesh and came as Jesus Christ. See, in the Old Testament, they had uh, in in the tabernacle and later in the temple, they had the altar. And the altar was this place where you would bring your sacrifice. You would bring something that represented your guilt, your shame, your fear, your sin, whatever was holding you back. And you would come and you would lay it on the altar. 
And the priests had this role of being a mediator between God and his people. And they would oversee this sacrifice being placed on an altar. And other times, uh, altars would be made elsewhere, outside of the temple and the tabernacle. We think of, there's the story of Gideon, one of the judges. And the angel of the Lord instructs him, build an altar and lay some of the grain that you're threshing on it as a sacrifice. And I'll show you my power. See, usually when you came and you brought a sacrifice and you put it on the altar, the priest would take it away. And it was this symbol of you giving up whatever it is that's holding you back from God. And the priest would take it away. But sometimes God did something really cool. Sometimes, like the case of Gideon, when he put the grain on the altar that he made, fire rains down and consumes the sacrifice on the altar. Fire from heaven comes down and obliterates whatever it was that is being given up to God. See, when Jesus came and when he died on the cross and they crucified him, the cross became our new altar. We don't need a physical altar to put something on because we have the cross. We have what Jesus did. It was God's transcendent power manifest and incarnated in Jesus that overcame sin and death and suffering and anything that can hold us back. That's what Jesus came to do. Our altar now is not a physical table. It's not a pile of stones that we build up. Our altar now is the cross. And the cross is where Jesus meets us and takes away whatever it is we have to get rid of because he has this transcendent power. It is because of his imminent that he loves us so dearly and it's his transcendent power that overwhelms whatever it is that holds us back. See, God's perfect love obliterates fear. And so I want to ask this question of you today. What fear do you need to lay on the altar? What fear is holding you back from God's perfect love? What fear is holding you back from the purpose and the desire that God has been trying to call you to? What fear is holding you back from taking that step of faith that God has been putting in front of you time and time again and saying, I'm right here. I want you to go deeper with me. What fear is holding you back? When we step from darkness into light, it's God's perfect love that gets rid of any roadblock in the way. And what I want to invite you to do is, I want you to think for a moment. Think about whatever, what is the piece of fear from that list that we went through before? Is it fear of people? Is it fear of change? Is it fear of what others will think? Is it you're, you're afraid because you've seen other people grow and you're like, well, what if God doesn't do exactly the same thing with me? What is the fear that's holding you back? And what do you need to do to let go of it? See, God is not a thief. God will not take and rip the fear out of your hands. God is a gentleman. God is there to take what we offer. We have to lay it on the altar. We have to choose to put it down before God will obliterate it. He won't rip it out of your hand. And so if you're standing there with your fists clenched and you're like, I can't let go of this, just open your hands. Say to God, what is it that you want to take from me? What fear do you need to lay on the altar today? I didn't tell you the whole story before about the, the guy who was healed of the back pain. And that, um, his wife was actually who we were there to pray for first. She had arthritis in her hands. She was, she was probably in her, her early 70s and had been a piano player for her whole life. 
And her arthritis was so bad that she couldn't play piano anymore, and, and it bothered her that she couldn't play as part of her church anymore. And so we were praying for her, for her hands to be healed. And there was, you know, we, we did the same thing where we prayed for a while and then we asked her to, to squeeze. Her husband was on her left and I was on her right and said, you know, squeeze our hands. Well, how's your grip strength? And the first two times, no change. But the third time, she grabbed my hand and it was remarkably stronger. But her, her, her joints were still stiff and she couldn't move. But, but her grip was there. And her husband and I looked at each other and were like, that's different. And she got scared. In fact, we asked her, do you want us to keep praying? And she said, no. She had a little piece of God's transcendent power happened in that moment. And she got scared. And she said, no, no, don't, don't keep praying for this. And I, I, I was racking my brain, why? What was the fear of holding back? Was she afraid that when we prayed another time that no change would happen? Or was she afraid that it might only be temporary? Or, or, or I don't know what it was. But it was that little piece that made her husband, who, we, who didn't say that he needed prayer for anything, said, well, you know, I've had this back pain. See, sometimes we get a little piece of God's transcendence and we get spooked. We get scared. And I want to challenge you not to get scared when God starts doing something in your life or in the lives of people around you. See, when John, I'm going to end by going back to 1 John 4, and I want to read a little more of the passage this time. John said this, All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. See, that's the imminence that we know. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And that shows we have not truly experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. That's what I want to invite you into. That as we step from darkness into the light that leads to life, that leads to God, experiencing the fullness of God's love, would we not get scared when God shows up? Let me pray for us. Lord, you are so powerful and so majestic, and at times when we get a glimpse of you, we get worried. And Lord, would you prevent us from being spooked? Would you prevent us from feeling fear when we should not feel fear? Would you prevent us from feeling afraid when really all we're seeing is more of what you have for us. And so, Lord, I just pray that the things that we have chosen to lay on the altar, the fears, the, the, the wounds, the whatever it is, would you give us assurance that you have consumed them, that you have obliterated them, that you have driven them out? And would you give us a fresh experience of your perfect love? Would you give us a fresh filling of your spirit? Lord, we ask these things in your name together. Amen. Folks, next Sunday, we are going to be continuing this series and we're going to be talking about overcoming shame. And the following week, we're going to talk about overcoming pain. And we're going to talk about how God's perfect love meets us in both of these to drive out shame 
and to drive out pain. And so I hope you'll plan to be here. And while you're at it, grab one of these Connect cards. If there's ever something that you want to meet with myself or Pastor Vicky or one of our elders, maybe you want to discuss about this more or get involved in a life group, just fill out one of these Connect cards and drop them off at the table in the lobby. Folks, I hope you have an amazing week, and I hope to see you again here next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.